Welcome to the RTE Brainstorm Podcast. My name is Marie Crow and I'm the Game On host on RTE2FM. This week I'm also the host for this special edition of the Brainstorm Podcast. I'm joined today by Siobhan Doyle, who's the author of a new book, A History of the GAA in 100 Objects. Siobhan is an assistant lecturer in design history at TU Dublin and a cultural historian and a regular contributor to Brainstorm. Siobhan, you're so very welcome. I've been following your career for quite a while now and I find pretty much everything that you do so interesting. And I was delighted to see that you were doing this book. For, but for those people that don't know you, tell us a little bit about your background and your connection to Gaelic Games. Thank you for your kind words, Marie. Um, yeah, my background to Gaelic Games, I suppose, I come from um, very much a GA household. Um, from primarily, I suppose, a football club, um, Banabalamiti and County Wexford. Um, but our house was always very much hurling um, growing up. Mom was from Kilkenny. Um, so, you know, there was quite an intense rivalry in the household. Um, played Gaelic games up until the age of 14 um, and then got distracted um, by other hobbies and uh, traditional music and um, Irish dancing. So something I, I gave up Gaelic games. Um, and then I returned to it last year. Um, I now played for Nafina in Dublin. Um, before that, I was working in the GA Museum as a tour guide, and I suppose that's, that's thinking back now, that's where the idea for this project all started. And um, my PhD research was on museum studies and how ordinary everyday objects can tell much bigger stories about our past. So um, I suppose that's how I came to, came to this project in the first place. You can tell from any time I've encountered you, or I can tell, and, and even just from following you on social media, that you don't just have a love of Gaelic games, you have sort of a deep connection with it. What would you put that down to? Yeah, it's not something I, you know, I would recognise in myself. It's only something, you know, from people like yourself, Marie, um, drawing attention to it. Um, I don't draw, I don't think too much about my deep connection to it. Um, but I am a historian um, and I'm naturally curious about the past, you know, about those um, unknown stories and anecdotes. Um, and that's something that hopefully comes to the fore um, for people when they're when they're reading the book that um, my intention was to, you know, bring together these stories that may not have been told together um, in this way and uh, using objects you know, as the as the, the main springboard for telling those stories. OK, so lots of people have ideas for books and they never follow through on them or, you know, they have loads of ideas and they never actually get about go go about making them reality. Tell us about the idea. I know you worked in the museum, but like there's one thing working in a museum. There's another thing uh, coming up with a concept for a book that you're able to to follow through on and produce. Yeah, well, I studied for a PhD in TU Dublin um, for four years in museum studies. Um, and I suppose for a lot of people that write a PhD, the whole intention is for that to become a book or a monograph or, you know, a set of articles. And I always wanted to write a book, but um, towards the end of my PhD, I, I didn't want to um, write on that particular subject anymore. On the 1916 Rising, I felt, you know, I'm not sure if I could... Uh, have enough to produce a book on it so I always wanted to do a book just had to you know like anyone trying to embark on new research um, is to find a new angle and a new approach to things 
Um, but in 2020, when I went back to the GA Museum to work on the um, Bloody Sunday centenary um, in 2020, um, I was doing some research on the material culture of Bloody Sunday. So, um, you know, the things that are that are left behind and the material objects that we're now as we uh, commemorate 100 years um, since Bloody Sunday. And, you know, I was engaging a lot with these objects and their stories and the people behind them. And then it occurred to me, you know, that these are so important, um, these objects, but there's never been like a real sustained investigation of GA objects, of memorabilia, of the things that we keep and that we cherish. So um, I remember it occurred to me one day and I bounced it off um, Jim Carroll, who's the editor of RTE Brainstorm, and I sent him an email. I said, what do you think about a history of the GA and 50 objects? And he said, no, do 100. <laughs> um, so then we teased it out a little bit more about, you know, how I would approach this. And, uh, you know, I, I did a list of maybe 10 or 15 objects that I had um, just to kind of get me going. And then I approached um, Mary Impress and um, they were on it straight away. They were, you know, really on board with the idea and with the project. And then a year and a half later, it's on its way to the printers. <laughs> what I loved about it, Siobhan, was that you kind of, you do it through your own frame of reference, but that's pretty much everybody's, that you grew up in a household that the whole, your whole life revolved around going to J matches. You know, you'd be going to the mass on a Sunday and the mass would be early because you know there's a match coming up afterwards during the week you're up on the pitch and whatever team was playing you were following them and you, and you knew all of the families as well and that just epitomizes really what Gaelic Games is to I'd say 90% of people anyway just that that backbone of of life that it everything that you did nearly just worked around whatever was happening that week on in the Gaelic Games calendar. Yeah and that's the thing like there's no one in our households that excel at Gaelic Games Um, you know we know inter-county players or you know you know, nothing like that. So like you said, it's our um, idea of the GA is, you know, the majority of the experience of it. Um, and I suppose match days um, are really important to us as well. I talk about that in the introduction about how because of the GA, I see my family more often because there's no way that I see daddy or my brothers like every weekend in February March um you know when we're going to league matches and, and later on when we're going to um championship matches so the GA really does um bring our family together um I and drives us apart as well at times um but and I've made lots of really genuine um friendships um through the GA so um I'm really grateful for that um I also wanted not just to represent um the champions and the all stars they do um their stories do occur in the book and rightly so um but i also wanted to represent um like the referees and um, the supporters um the the kit managers the administrators it was really important to me that their story is told as well so you were going into the book with a very firm idea of what you wanted to represent and achieve was it easy to do that though definitely not um <laughs> you know i had I, I did have a template. I did have an idea in my head that I wanted to travel to the 32 counties. I wanted to make sure that every county was represented. Um, my first um, port of call um, in each county where possible was to visit um, the local museums um, because, you know, they're, they're, you know, on a local level, that's where a lot of people would donate their objects and memorabilia. 
started um, in uh, local museums. Sometimes um, they had an amount of objects and lots of different options. Sometimes they didn't have any. Um, but a lot of the time when I went to visit the museums, they would be able to, to lead me to someone to someone else. Um, and that's what happened quite a lot um, when I was traveling, is that I go to source one object or go to talk to one person and I'd always come back with loads of more stories. Um, so it's been a great, uh, I've had a great time just going around the country, <laughs> um, you know, picking up stories. Now, not all of them make it into the book. Mm -hmm. um, and I was very clear um, about that from the start to everyone that I was talking to. I was like, look, I am in the research process now. I'll let you know at a later stage um, what's happening. And uh, I never made any promises that every object or every story that I was collecting was going in, into the book. Um, just so, you know, that I wouldn't have any groveling to do or whatever afterwards. Some counties were easier than others to others to collect stories from just because of um, sometimes it's down to success. Um, and, you know, when I was approaching people um, about the, 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 the idea of the book and, and what I was doing, a lot of people were just making assumptions that I wanted the big stories, the champions, I wanted the medals, I wanted the trophies. And I had to say, no, um, I want, you know, the other, the other stories. I want the lucky socks. I want the, the, the kit bag. Um, I want the less obvious things. And in a lot of cases, I got that. And hopefully, um, you know, that makes for a much um, broader um broader stories um within the book itself it sounds like you were on a big giant treasure hunt yeah it was great <laughs> um like I started planning in March 2021 and then um then I got on the road straight away I was on the road basically every weekend for about six months and uh, I, I was writing up at the same time um but you know it was an incredibly enjoyable and a fulfilling um, experience for me because people are just delighted to tell their stories and to share what they have. I couldn't believe the amount of um, enthusiasm for it. Like not one person or not mu museum or individual or pub or whatever, um, nobody um, turned me down, um, which is, I don't know if it's a GA thing. I don't know if it's an Irish thing, mm -hmm. um, but it certainly worked in my favor that people were so enthusiastic in, um, you know, sharing, sharing what they have. When I worked in the Sunday India, I used to write the Where Are They Now column. And I think for the seven years that I wrote it, never did anybody say no because their phone hadn't been ringing in years. Nobody had asked them about their big days or their memories. And they were so delighted to share them because it felt like it was from a different time. So I'd imagine that was quite similar, that they were just delighted that somebody had asked and they were getting to tell the stories and relive the memories themselves because when they're in it, their phones ringing all the time and you know they're in demand but when you're gone you're gone and it's you know bring them back down that that memory lane so it's, it sounds quite similar to that which is a lovely thing because you do get to bring people back on a on a journey again so was there anything that really surprised you um anything that surprised me like i said the um the amount of enthusiasm and generosity of people in sharing their time in um opening up their homes to me um Actually, one thing that surprised me was the amount of private collectors that there is of GA memorabilia. There's a, really? a whole community of um, collectors, many of them that have like their own dedicated room in their house or like shed in the back of the garden that's full of match programs and um, full of jerseys and um, books, DVDs. Um, and they're just doing it all just for a hobby, just for um, their love of GA. 
and it's, it's just incredible and um there's lots of collectors you know one of them that in particular that was very uh helpful to me was Jim Whelan in Great Namana and um they they have a great community between themselves and that they, they swap their programs if they're missing one and um yeah it's it's just a lovely um a, a lovely idea and I suppose my re you know I, I travel to a number of those around the country and in many ways this type of project is kind of justifying um their hobby and the amount of money and time that they put that they put into collecting things and a lot of these people like Jim have collections that you can't find elsewhere like Jim has journalists um you know in touch with him going do you mind just checking this in that match program or do you mind um just I, I know you have that book do you mind looking at it for me um so there's this um kind of almost underground network of um memorabilia collectors around the country which is um which is which was surprising to me because I knew nothing of it but now I think I couldn't have um, this project wouldn't be have as many stories um, without those people. So I'm extremely grateful for them, the amount of um, time that they gave me as well. I'd say you've just scratched the surface of potential projects that could come at you because I, I know journalists are always talking about the lack of information in terms of stats and records. And there could be a whole body of work done on all that stuff that you have um, encountered over the last while. So um, I'd say you're going to be busy for the next <laughs> the next while. Um, so uh, what about the memorabilia then? Like just the physical memorabilia, the pictures in the book are amazing. Like to see what has gone on over the years, just in terms of what people have been able to, to produce has been amazing. Has it changed much? Have you, have you noticed? Have the quality of things got better or worse or what's it like? Yeah. Um thankfully for me in most cases the, the um condition of the objects themselves were quite good which is a testament to the custodians of their objects um you know some of them uh you know had them packed away in drawers and kept safely others other objects are proudly on display on dressers um and things like that but um you know when i was um when i was a bit further down the line in the project of I was thinking about how would I arrange this book, how would I uh, lay it out, um, it eventually um, was done chronologically by decade, but before that I was thinking about um, doing it th thematically, um, so things like uh, handmade objects or things like um, theme of like changes in technology and um, so for example like the first GA helmet was like a motorcycle helmet um, so you know we had to start from somewhere so yeah we've come on massively in terms of technology if you even look at like the, the one of the first objects in the book is a hair hurling ball and um, so it's from the 15th century and it's like a, a hurling ball made from like cow and horse hair and now we have like yellow slitters so that um, you know that they can be seen on telly and that they can be um you know picked out from the umpires can can see them more clearly and um like there's talk of gps slitters yeah, and, and things them. like that as well yeah so um yeah we've come a long way in the uh, relatively short space of time that the ga has existed so yeah i was shown my kids pictures of the different objects in the on my laptop of the when i was looking at the pdf and i was like look at this slitter look at these I was like, look at this, uh, Lee McCarthy. They were mind blowing because they would have had, they, they have no concept of, you know, anything that they don't even have any concept of the 90s hurling. You know what I mean? It's like they're just living there in the, in the yellow slitter era and the, the light helmets and all the rest. So, um, or the, the bamboo hurlies from Torpy 
with the luminous grip so it's a yeah. complete yeah even the thoughts of like a hurl without a grip or yeah. that kind of thing you know and I, I'm delighted to hear you say that Marie because I, I you know that your your children were responding to it because I I I always hoped that um anyone that's interested in GA can um can be interested in they don't have to be excited by every page but they can see some of themselves within the pages yeah. So, you know, things like cool cap, cool camps, backpacks or, um, you know, like that, the the medals or there's even everyday objects like napkins that, mm-hmm. you know, you have to read the book to, to, to get the full story. But um, there's lots of things in the books that 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 people will have at home um, or they might even have better objects or um, you know, than what lie within the pages of my book. But um, once people are responding or you know getting excited or starting conversations um that's that's when I'm happy that I've know that I know that um I, I've tapped into something hopefully special and just given the fact that it has came on so much just from the technology point of view and, and how the games have um evolved as games what about uh G- the GA's place in in society from a, a cultural point of view is it still represented like it was all those years ago yeah, I think so. And, um, you know, it's expanding all the time um, with things like uh, the GA World Games. Um, also remember that we have the, the GA plays a role beyond the sport itself. So we have things like the score competitions that involve music and drama and um, dancing. And, you know, that's thriving and uh, it's, it's always expanding. You know, we're very quick to um complain and you know voice our opinions about what the GA is doing wrong um <laughs> but uh you know we have to remember that um we a lot of us would be quite lost without it absolutely and you said hurl there and I said hurley did you get a definitive answer on that by the way <laughs> no definitive answer and it's funny you bring that up because I say hurl and I say hurl throughout the book apart from the page where I talk about a spoke shave from Torpy's Hurleys in Six Mile Bridge and uh, yeah exactly and um the Torpy's say Hurleys and for that page only I say Hurleys because you know that's what they use so I, I veer towards um their their dialect um, for one page only and <laughs> that's something that was noticed at the editing stage of the book as well the editor pulled it up and say you say Hurley you say Hurley on this page but you don't say it on the other one I was like yeah but Torpy say Hurleys and if I'm talking about them um, I have to um, dance to their tune yeah that's what we call them down there all right yeah. um, were, were some counties better than others did you find or what were the best counties for memorabilia um I I wouldn't say best, it's just perhaps easier to um, find uh, individuals or to, to go to places. Um, so like museums were a good starting point and where there was a county museum, um, it was always a good start. Um, I guess I would have, uh, you know, thankfully I, I had quite a lot of contacts um, from my time working with the GAA and, um, you know, in my career um, working in museums. Um, so thankfully I, I had lots of contacts and where I didn't, I was able to, to, to get them from somewhere else. And um, I was really lucky to have, lucky that Ireland is a small country, to be honest, um, in that, you know, there's always some kind of network. Um, I suppose the most difficult part was 
you know, I was trying to tick the box of every county. Um, but when I was getting down to maybe those last three or four counties, when I already had collected objects, I was trying to get like a diversity of things. So I had enough jerseys, I had enough medals, um, had enough trophies. It was trying to find something um, unique from those last couple of counties when I was coming towards the end of the project was um, definitely the more um, difficult part. And then like naturally, um, there's going to be some counties that would have um, a stronger collection of memorabilia from others just because of GA history itself. So you have the likes of Clare, um, you have the, the Michael Cusack um, connection, um, you have Tipperary, you have Semple Stadium, you have um, Bloody Sunday. Um, so some, some counties would just um, kind of by default have um, more objects than others. But um, all 32 are in there um, and more than 32, the diaspora represented as well. Um, so yeah, I went to great pains to make sure that, that everybody got a look in. I liked that your first story, well, the first story that I encountered was a Claire story. Yeah, that's right. So um, the um, Carahan flag in, in Tulla um, is thought to be the first trophy um, of the GAA and uh, it's, it's a lovely object object a massive flag that's in uh that's in the uh um uh community center in Tulla and on the front it's um a gorgeous picture of gorgeous painting of um a hurler from the 1800s and then on the back it's it's one at um it says in in yellow writing one at, at Carahan um in the in the 1800s so um I felt that was a good place to start um, in the introduction, um, because for many people, when they're, you know, writing the, the introduction is often the hardest part, like, where do you start? Well, you usually start in the middle and then, and then um, you know, you work out the, the details of the, of the start and the finish at the end. But um, I thought that was an apt place to start. And it was really, um, I, I also wanted to represent not only the objects themselves, places that they're kept um, and the people that I met along the way. So um, I wanted to tell those stories and I got to do that um, not only in the write-ups um, for each of the 100 objects, but in the introduction as well. It's crazy because I live like 15 minutes drive from Tulla. So I've been in Tulla so many times in my life and I never knew that even existed. Yeah, I know. And in some ways when you when you encounter things like that, you're and you know, when you're so involved in, in GA and sports um like that, you're kind of nearly ashamed that 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 you don't know um the these little details, but hopefully um the the things that I've written have will shine a spotlight in some of those um lesser known stories. That's that was the whole idea. Do you feel there's like like a growing field of Gaelic games academia there or, or that there there should be? There, just given the fact that there's so many stories that people have never heard of. Yeah, definitely. Like I was delighted that there was um, plenty of um, plenty of of places for me to go to find information. So there's lots of academic books like, um, you know, the likes of, of Paul Rouse and, um, you know, a lot of it is from um, journalists as well. Um, so there's an incredible amount of like online articles. I drew a lot from newspaper archives as well. That's where I got a lot of my information. Um, but there is a really strong and growing community of sports historians in Ireland. Um, like I was at a conference um, a couple of weeks ago in um, in NUIG and um, there's there was um, GA historians and you know people involved in researching GA from you know 
other points of view like psychology um sociology and um, strength condition uh, that kind of thing um but there was one um researcher who had come over from germany and she was um she she presented a paper on the ga because she had been here as an au pair and um one summer and she just uh, came to she just came she was brought to games and uh she just it just kind of grew from there so she's now back in germany researching ga um so yeah i'm delighted that there is um a community and uh, lots of other um fellow ga researchers and enthusiasts like that conference that i was at a couple of years ago before i think around 2019 they had um a conference on um sports history i think and uh, there was no women at it and uh, not on purpose um but they had you know a follow-up um conference and sports and media conference in 2022 and it wasn't quite 50 50 but um the room was uh you know there was a considerable presence of women um and that's really um that's really encouraging as well yeah and, and i guess in years to come there'll be a whole probably body of work to be done on camogie and, and ladies football as well so exactly yeah, a lot, to, a lot for you to be getting on with. So exactly. tell me about um, your favourite objects from the book. Um, I knew you'd ask this question. Um, <laughs> and that's the kind of question that that depends on whatever humour I wake up in the morning or um, that kind of thing. But um, yeah, it, cha it changes all the time. And even um, even just rereading some passages now of the book, there's there's things that I've forgotten myself, even though I wrote it. Um, but there's one object that's in um, Taft's Bar on Shop Street in Galway. And um, when um, when Kildare and Galway were playing in the All-Ireland Final um, in 98, is it 98 or 2001? I always get those mixed up. Anyway, Galway were playing uh, Kildare in the All-Ireland Final. Um, and, you know, a lot of people from Galway had gone to the match, um, but some of them had to stay behind. Some of them had to work and run the pubs. Um, and uh, one of the barmen in Taft's, um, Park Joyce's goal went in. And he was working behind the bar and he jumped up and he punched a hole in the ceiling. And instead of getting the, the, the ceiling um, repaired, they framed it. They framed the hole um, and it's called Coley Kay's Hole and it has the... the the uh the, the score of the match and stuff um so uh that's that that's a great story because it tells lots of different things it tells about you know you don't have to go to the match uh, you don't have to be present at an all-ireland final in crow park to be just as excited as anyone else you know some people some people make um a conscious choice not to go to matches whether it's you know for financial or just uh, personal reasons or some people it just doesn't suit them and um, but it doesn't mean that you're not part of the day and part of the excitement and um, so when i went to uh when i went to, to look at that object um it was on a an afternoon in 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 galway city and i went in about half 12 and i was talking to porik lally who was on um the, the squad in 2001 and uh he was telling me about about the story and uh i went in for my lunch and then he said oh i was chatting away to park and i said um 
where I was from. And he said, oh, if you're from near Bano, um, you must be interested in music. There's a trad session starting here in the corner. So I said, right, sure, give me a large bottle while we're going. <laughs> so I went to the corner. There was a few people from Clare playing in the corner, got talking to them. And they said, do you play music yourself? I said, I do, yeah, I play the flute, but I don't have it with me. So one of them went out to the shop down the road and got me a tin whistle. <laughs> Oh and, we, and we stayed in the corner for eight hours and uh, we, ha we had a great old time um, playing music and uh, have, having a crack. But um, like I went in there, I went in there to collect an object story um, and I stayed, stayed good <laughs> eight or nine hours later. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> all for the love of the research, you know. Um, so there's lots of those kind of stories and uh, days that didn't quite plan out how they thought I would how did I thought it would and meeting lots of random and brilliant people along the way um so yeah I have quite a fondness of of that object because I had such good crack that day yeah. well <laughs> look you made your own special moment there that's for sure that's so like was there any that you'd maybe heard stories about and weren't able to track down like objects that got away that you haven't given up on and you know might look at another hundred um like I have, I have a list of 250 objects. I collected 250 stories. I had to, I had to whittle it down to 100. One object that I always had on my list from the start was the John 37 sign. Um, you know, belonged to uh, Frank Hogan, who was from Tip, but he was mainly associated with Limerick. Um, and you know, he used to carry this yellow sign um, to all of the matches. Kind of an iconic supporter. And I, all, I, I wanted to track down that sign and um, couldn't. Um, and then I just put out a call on Twitter um, to see if anybody knew of Frank. I hadn't realized he, he passed away, um, but uh, a, a journalist replied to me and uh, said, I had been speaking to his, his, his wife. Um, I can give you her details. Um, and and I, I tracked down the object from there. Now, that's an example of there's there's more than one of those. So there's not just one John 37 sign. He had loads of them. Yeah. Um, so one of them is in uh, Bowles pub in um, in Thulman Gate near Thulman Park in Limerick. It's 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 in the outdoor area there. Another other um, the other signs were given to neighbours and friends. Um, so that that was one that I wanted to track down it was a little bit difficult. Um, but I did get there eventually. Um, and sometimes it just happens that objects don't exist anymore. They weren't collected. Um, they weren't, um, you know, they weren't seen at the time as, you know, of historical significance or, you know, they're just thrown out just kind of unconsciously. Um, one of them is um, from the 1930s that eventually became the Kerry jersey. Um, I, I'd love to have uh, represented that in the book, but um, as far as I know, one of those doesn't exist. Um, so yeah, and and like I had to, I had to be at peace with that as well. That I wasn't going to be able to track down an object to tell every single story. Um, so I kind of had to be okay with that from the start. And also, as the book goes on to shelves um i'm also at peace with the fact that people are, are hopefully going to come with me co come to me with um object stories um and i'm going to continue to, to collect them um and you know I'll, I'll 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 do something with them all i'm going to continue um this beyond the book um but i also know that there's going to be some great objects that are going to surface um 
that I, I will be sorry that I haven't included them in the book or I wasn't aware of it but that's you know I just that's part of it as well it sounds like volume two started with it <laughs> so what do you think the future of GA objects looks like um gosh it's hard to know I hope that you know people would start um thinking beyond collecting the obvious things like match programs like jerseys like medals there's lots of those and please continue collecting those but there's also things that we need to start paying attention to so like I remember being in an ice hockey museum in uh, Toronto earlier in the year and they had like ice skates um you, you know players first ice skates um you know things from their childhood um so you know that kind of thing I, I'd like to see a bit more of that um we also need to start collecting now um, so it occurred to me, um, you know, things like Paul Knurk's whiteboard, which had been talked about a lot, um, you know, due to the water breaks in GA matches and stuff like that. So we need to start thinking about collecting those kind of things now when there's like five of them. Yeah. Or you know when there there's lots of like Joe Cannon's red helmet kind of yeah thing. exactly yeah. and you know start collecting them while people are playing um, and yeah. because when when people retire or when it's gone beyond it's often too late or you know they become more precious and people are less likely to um hand them over and um, Brian Cody's caps yeah. was is one of the examples um, in the book where, you know, th there's lots of them and he was very happy to um, hand one over and, and talk to me about that um, for the book. Um, but uh, he spoke to me about that while he was still Kilkenny manager um, and now he's not. And suddenly the cap has, you know, more significance now that he's not Kilkenny manager anymore. You have people like the young generation who are fascinated and then for other people, they're bringing back memories and they're starting thinking about uh, their own lives and what they've seen as well. And we all have so many brilliant GA memories. Um, so thanks a million and uh, looking forward to seeing what comes next for you as well. So a history of the GA in 100 Objects by Siobhan Doyle is published by Merriam Press. My name is Marie Crow, and you've been listening to a podcast from RTE Brainstorm. Discover more at rte.ie forward slash brainstorm. Mm -hmm.